Thanks. Please be seated. Good to see you today. It's good to hear go up in the children's department and hear the rumbling of children um, uh, up there uh, today. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, the email and the Facebook message that some of you saw uh, that we sent out on, um, I guess it was Friday morning. Just give you a little update uh, there. In the second service last week, a person was here and uh, on, I think, Wednesday of this past week, tested positive for COVID. Um, feels certain, I've talked to him three or four times this week, feels certain that he got it at work. He says, I think, I, I don't know how you know this, but he says, I think I know when I got it. Um, but uh, feels like he got it at work. Um, his, uh, so he obviously is, is quarantined. Um, he's been having the symptoms that we hear about got a bad headache, which is mes- it tapered off a good bit, um, uh, got uh, body aches, like flu type of body aches that probably bothered him worse than anything as I talked to them uh, yesterday. Uh, lethargic, um, just doesn't have any energy, and uh, so they, uh, both of them are in a good sense of humor. Uh, the wife is showing symptoms as well. And uh, she complained about a hip in her, uh, about pain in her hip. So obviously they're both quarantined. Uh, as soon as we got that word on Thursday, we called Green County Board of Health and said, "What are we supposed to do?" They said, uh, "Alert the congregation and clean that area extra well." And so we did that. And um, you know, if you, I, to me, I don't know how y'all deal with all the, the the COVID stuff. I'm a math guy, and I look at the math. And I, that's all I do. And if I look at the math, uh, I, I see that uh, as of this morning, I think 64,000 people in Ohio have tested positive. And that's about one-half percent of all the people in Ohio. That will continue to climb as more people get tested, obviously. So let's say, for instance, if we ever get up to one percent of the people in Ohio that have tested positive. Uh, for our congregation, that would amount to, we probably have, uh, we have about 600 on a regular Sunday morning, but about, about 800 people that call this church their home. So that would be eight people in our congregation that we would expect to test positive because Zinia Nazarenes are no better than anybody else. And so we're going to catch it like anyone else is going to catch it. So we would expect maybe eight people in our congregation. Congregations that are larger than ours would expect more and less than ours that respect less as well. So it didn't really surprise me that we got that uh, phone call this week. Uh, but it is what it is. So thank you for continuing to social distance. Uh, the very best you possibly uh, can do on that. Thank you for praying for that uh, family. They're in a good frame of mind. They're laughing, uh, saying that at least we're sick together. And so uh, I hope this week shows some real improvement in their uh, condition. Um, uh, several of you have asked me what I think about all this. Uh, I don't know what to think about all this, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I don't know what to believe from what I read, because um, you read things on all sides of the spectrum. Uh, obviously, the COVID is, is very real. Uh, the mathematics of it say that the chances are slim that you will catch it, and if you do catch it, the chances are slim that you will have a difficult case with it. But that doesn't mean it's not real. Uh, it absolutely is real. And so um, take appropriate precautions. Um, I think you've got to live your life. 
but you take appropriate precautions uh, with all that kind of stuff. And I, everybody has to make their own decision on all of that kind of stuff. And so I don't know when it's going to end and how far we will go into the fall and what school's going to look like and all that kind of stuff. I have no clue and zero insider information on all that kind of stuff. But it looks like, um, it looks like uh, we're going to, at least for a while, learn how to live with COVID-19. And I don't know what that means really for my family too much or learn what, what it means for yours. But it, learns we, we, it seems like we need to learn to live with it, at least for the, uh, for the near future. They talk about a vaccine coming out, and I'm sure one day a vaccine will come out. Uh, we also have a flu vaccine, but we still have the flu. So uh, is this with us? This kind of, I don't know, I'm, I don't want to speak where I shouldn't speak. This type of flu, and I don't mean to demean it by calling it the flu at all, but this type of flu, is it going to be with us for a while? I have no clue. But uh, continue to take the precautions that you family deems necessary, and we will do as a church uh, what we seem necessary. One, one classroom was getting a little crowded up there, um, and so they made some adaptations real quick. So we'll do what we can uh, uh, to make this place as safe as possible. Um, on a side note, uh, it's been a long while since we have sung it as well with our soul. And that third verse says, um, uh, oh, put that third verse back up there. Oh, this, uh, <clears throat> my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole it was in august of 2000 of 1993 that i was in calvary baptist church in danville illinois and uh i wasn't looking to i didn't care much about jesus and didn't care much about christian life raising a christian home but very early age i walked away from that decided i wanted to do what i wanted to do but you see i was a basketball coach in the neighboring town and it's good for the basketball coach, high school basketball coach, to be seen in church. That was why I was in church that day. Because for PR reasons. There are a lot of reasons that people go to church on a Sunday morning. And so I stood the third row from the back on the piano side at Calvary Baptist Church, and the message was preached, and as a it wasn't an invitation hymn, it was just kind of like a closing hymn. And we sang it as well with my soul. And when we got to this third verse, my sin, uh, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross. I like to sing it, his cross, because there were, there's been lots of crosses that people have died on, and it's his cross that makes the difference. It's nailed to, uh, it's nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. My knees literally buckled, literally. And I realized for the first time in my life, that God didn't send his only begotten son for the world, he sent him for me. And when you can take it out of the context of the world, see, that's, that's head knowledge, isn't it? When you can take it out of the context of the world and bring it to your own heart, salvation is near to you. And as God is my witness, friends, my knees buckled. I didn't go to the altar, I didn't... It wasn't even an altar call. Uh, but I knew something happened right then. I grasped it. Uh, not here. I grasped it here. For the first time really in my life. I drove home and, and realized that, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, everybody, 
I ever saw got saved in my dad's old-time Methodist church is went to the altar. I didn't go to the altar. There's probably something about that in the Bible. You know, you can't get saved unless you go to the altar. And so I knelt down by my lazy boy uh, in my living room and said something to my, you put a gun to my head and I couldn't tell you what it was. But I said something. But I know the work was already done. The work was already done. And uh, it, 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 it seemed like to me it's when it was my sin. It's when he came for me and he didn't just come for the world. And I cannot sing that song without thinking of Calvary Baptist Church in, in Danville, Illinois. Hey, we start a, we start a, a sermon series today that we're just calling uh, Summer School. Uh, summer school was a bad word in my house when I grew up. Um, uh, it was a threat to me. It was a threat by my mom and dad and a threat by my teachers that if I don't get my acts straight, I'm going to have to go to summer school. Now, I don't know if summer school, if they even have summer school today. To be, I don't even know if it's the same way. But back when I grew up and I was in high school, if you didn't get what you were supposed to get during the school year, you had to go to summer school and get it. And nobody wanted to go to school in the summer. And so I was always threatened by that. And, and one reason, the fourth quarter, to get your acting gear, at least to get your grade up, so you wouldn't have to go to summer school. And so um, it was always a threat to me. Now, I became a school teacher uh, later on in my life. And for eight years, I was a public school teacher. And I found out that summer school was, was 36 weeks of schooling condensed down to four or six weeks, depending upon the school system and how long they wanted summer school to go. Now, when I went to college, I went to summer school on my own because that was just regular classes were offered in the summer, and I thought they were pretty cool because the profs were all laid back and it was easier, I thought, in the summertime. But that's different than summer school for when you're in high school. I mean, you go and you got to get 36 weeks of instruction pressed down into small time frames. So when you do that, they can't teach you everything. So if I, for instance, if I had failed Algebra 1 and had to go to summer school, I needed to get some uh, relearning on summer school and I, they could have taught me everything. They would have taught me just the essentials. Uh, they would have taught me just the absolute most important things that I would need to know about Algebra 1. So when I went to geometry and hopefully on to Algebra 2, I wouldn't fail that as well. So summer school was about getting the essentials. It was about learning what you didn't learn the first time. It was about trying to get what you didn't get the first time. So this summer, and, and I guess through August maybe, we're going to talk about, uh, um, in a short time frame, we're going to talk about a summer school of Christianity. What is it that you really, really need to know? There's a whole lot of things under the umbrella of Christianity, a whole lot of things. But there are some things that are core, that are vital that if I was teaching a summer school class on Christianity, that I would have to include because they are the essentials. Because they're the stuff that you cannot miss, that you have to get, you have to grasp. You probably don't have to grasp all the gifts of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans and 1 Corinthians. All those different gifts of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives us, 
that's probably not an essential thing about Christianity. And if I was teaching summer school class of Christianity, I wouldn't include that. I would probably include it in a 36-week course, but if I've got to boil it down to four to six weeks, I would not include that. So let's talk about the absolute essential things that you must know. And I think this is important to you because as you share uh, with family, as you share with friends, um, you, you can't share everything. You just can't. You'll blow them away if you try to sh share everything. You've got to be able to tell them the most important things. You've got to be able to tell your kids. They've got a lifetime to be able to learn all the little things about Christianity that if they're involved in a church, they'll learn a lot of those. But as, as you raise them, there's some things you've got to drill into their heads over and over and over again. And they would be the core things. They would be the essential things of Christianity. And that's what we're going to summer school for. So consider yourself, if you choose to come back next week, you're in summer school, okay? All right. Now, the Apostle Paul had, had, had at least two situations that we know of in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul had at least two situations where he was talking to basically unchurched people. That's our word. That's a 2,000 word. Uh, they would have called it pagans, people that didn't know anything about God or people that worshiped other gods. There's at least two occasions that we know that he had an audience full of people that didn't know anything. Or what they knew was way, way wrong. And he had an opportunity, for all we know, maybe his only opportunity to speak to them. And I think it's fascinating of what we find the Apostle Paul shares. When he could have shared anything that he possibly could to people that don't know anything, when he could have shared anything he possibly could, what did he choose to share? And that's kind of a condensed type of Christianity that the Apostle Paul gives them. And I want to talk about that one thing today that he shared. It starts in Acts 17 when the Apostle Paul was in Athens, Greece. Athens, Greece at that time was the, was the, was the not literal capital of the world, but it's where everything happened. It's where all the intellectuals were. It's where all the philosophers were. It was the cultural center of the whole world. Athens, Greece at that point in time... Uh, was where it all happened. So Paul found himself in Athens. And so that's in Acts chapter 27. While Paul was waiting for them, if you read the context of the previous passage, uh, Timothy and Silas were going to join him in Athens, okay? So while Paul was waiting for Timothy and Silas, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, if you know anything about Greek culture, they had an idol for this, they had an idol for that, they had a sun god, they had a moon god, they had a money god, they had an agricultural god, they had a rain god, they had a fertility god, they had a god for this. You name it, they had a god for it. That was, they were very religious people. And they, and, and they built idols of, of bronze and stone and, and, and sometimes gold, and they would make sacrifices to idols. We've seen that throughout Scripture, and, and, and that was the, the type of world that the Apostle Paul came into. and was especially type, the type of world that Greece was. And he says he looked around and saw all of these idols, and he became very distressed. He became very distressed in his spirit. I don't know about you, but a lot of things that go on today... I just look at and I get extremely distressed in my spirit. And, and, and I look around, and I'm not making comments on any certain things. There's a lot of things I look around and see people trying to, 
they're probably well-meaning, probably trying to make the world a better place, but the world will not be made a better place without the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I look around, and I just get distressed at times, and I get agitated at times. And I'm wondering what the Apostle Paul felt like. The, the word here, and I forgot to look the word up, but the word gets translated here. He was distressed in his spirit because he saw all of this, what he knew to be fake religion. Not fake to them. They, they thought they were doing the right thing. They did not know. They were very religious, searching for the truth, but they did not have knowledge of that. So he reasoned in the synagogue. So he went to where you would go in that day and time to find any kind of religious folks, you would go gone to a Jewish synagogue. That was his background. So he went to synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. And in the marketplace, it would be like, it would be like doing street preaching at a university today, okay? And you've seen probably some YouTube videos of people that may just go to a university somewhere and stand up on top of someplace university and start preaching the gospel. And that's basically what the Apostle Paul was doing. But he was doing it to an extremely pagan culture. This culture knows the name of Jesus. They may not follow Christ as Savior and Lord, but they know the name of Jesus. He was doing it to a pagan culture who had a moon god, a sun god, a rain god, a fertility god, and all kinds of gods, okay? Next slide, please. A group of philosophers, and there's difference between Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and I don't need to waste five minutes to tell you that, okay? But a group of philosophers, the intellectual elite of the day, that basically sit around all day and try to figure things out that probably they never can totally figure out. So a group of philosophers began to debate with Paul. Some of them say, what, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. So they all had their gods right here, but Paul seemed to be advocating, at least to whoever this was, a foreign god. Um, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So when Paul has maybe one shot at the elite of Athens, he has maybe one shot uh, at the pagan culture of Athens, the scripture plainly says he was talking about the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Paul could have talked about a whole lot of things, and he wrote about a whole lot of things that we have in the New Testament. But when he chose to talk about one thing to some pagans, the people who did not know God or thought they knew God, but really they were clueless, even though they kind of had some kind of religion about them, Paul talked to them about Jesus and the resurrection. The next slide says, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Now, <clears throat> if, if you go to Greece, this is still here today. This is a huge rock. And I don't mean a huge rock. I mean a huge rock, like as big as the sanctuary. And it was at this place is where they held court many times. It was at this place where they would have debates. If they were going to have a presidential debate, they would have had it at the Areopagus. Okay, this was just a place in Athens where intellectuals went to debate things. This was a big-time place, and all the elite of Athens would have been there. So this was an unbelievable opportunity that the, God had given the Apostle Paul to be able to share, and maybe the only opportunity in Athens that he would get to share. So what does he share? So he said to them, they brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we know what this new teaching is. Next slide. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Next. Um, Paul then stood up in the middle, in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious 
I see all these gods that you have. So you're very, very religious. He was kind of patting him on the back. If you're trying to get somebody to listen to you, don't go insult them right away, right? So he says, I can see that you're very religious, okay? For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So they had the altar to Zeus, they had their altar to this God, they had the altar to this God, this God, this God, altars all over the place, and then they had some type of altar, some type of monument, some type of idol that the inscription said, just in case we've missed one of the gods. This was their just-in-case God. Just in case we've missed one of the gods. We got, him, we, we, we got our butts covered on this, okay? All right, can I say that? All right, we got our butts covered on this. So Paul says he finds this thing to the unknown God, and he seems to think, that's, that's my clue. That's what I need to take off on. So you all are ignorant. Now, that's a bad word, but it wouldn't, in that, in that day and time, that word simply means that they didn't know, and he wasn't slamming them. He says, so you, you don't know about the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And so he goes into this message and he talks about that, that that God is there is one God and he is a God of all created heaven and earth and he does not cannot is not made with human hands does not reside in any kind of temple and this God has uh, made all men and he has created all men and then he turns in chapter 20 in verse 29 says since we are God's offspring we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human design and skill in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He hadn't even talked about sin. So this is not a repentance from sin. The word repentance means to turn. To turn. So he was telling them, basically, you need to turn from all of the gods to the God that I am proclaiming to you. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this by everyone, by raising him from the dead. So he's continuing to talk about the person of Jesus Christ. He may not ever have an opportunity here. He could tell them a whole lot of things that the Apostle, that Apostle Paul knew about Christianity. He could tell them a whole lot of things. But twice now in this passage, he says he bore down on the person of Jesus Christ. Next slide. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead... When they heard about this Jesus and the resurrection from the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Friends, when the man that opened up the whole Western world of Christianity had one shot at some people, he didn't talk about getting baptized. I'm not putting baptism down. He, he, he didn't talk about whether you're baptized by immersion, sprinkling, or pouring. He, he, didn't, he didn't talk about uh, any kind of church group or this group or that group. He didn't talk about anything. When he had one shot, he talked about the person of Jesus Christ. He talked about his life, death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't know if he'd ever have a shot again. He didn't know if he'd ever have this opportunity again that God had given him standing in this historic place and preaching to absolutely to people that were pagans and never ever have heard. And he said the message 
in the good news about Jesus Christ. Friends, um, this whole thing that we call Christianity is boiled down to the life, person, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't think anything. Well, there's a whole lot of things. There's a whole lot of things in this New Testament, and every one of them are good, and every one of them are true. There's a whole lot of things that the Bible says that now you are a Christian, this is how you are supposed to live. There's a whole lot of things in the Old Testament on how God worked with his people before he sent his son Jesus. And some of these things I understand, and some of these things I don't. But the one thing I do understand is we have no Christianity without the life, death, burial of Jesus Christ. We have nothing. It's the whole thing. And we can dispute about a lot of things, and we can, we, can, we can argue with this denomination, and we can argue with that denomination, but it all comes down to the person of Jesus Christ and what you have done with him. That is summer school. And if, if I'm going to teach a summer school class on Christianity, I have to start and I have to finish with the person of Jesus Christ and with the question, what have you done with him? What have you done with the person of Jesus Christ? I'm not even going to mention baptism. I've only got four to six weeks to talk about Christianity. I'm not even going to mention baptism. I'm not even going to mention the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not even going to mention this thing or this thing that all churches would disagree upon. I'm going to look at you and say, I got one message to you, is that God has sent a man, and that name was Je- his name was Jesus, and he came for you, and he lived a sinless life. He, was, he died for his, uh, uh, your sins. He was buried, tomb was sealed, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. That's the message. And if that message is not true, this, this thing is a farce. All this thing is a hoax. It all boils down. It doesn't boil down to, well, well, what do you think about this issue? Uh, uh, you know, end times. You know, people every now and then get on me. And I've had people leave the church because I don't preach enough on the end times. Well, you know what? I don't understand a whole lot of that stuff. And if you've got 10 preachers up here, we're not all going to agree on that stuff. It's not essential. And you can believe one thing about the end times, another guy can believe other things about the end times. And God, when you stand before him that day, is not going to ask you whether you were a millennial or a millennial. He's going to ask you what you did with Jesus Christ. That's a summer school class. And when you... you you try to boil Christianity down to its very essence, what's going to be bubbling to the top is Jesus. Now, Nate made this, gra- this graphic for, for me. He did exactly what I told him to do. But I wish now that I would have told him something different because the tagline underneath says, learning what we missed the first time. That's exactly what I told him to do, and he did it. But can I tell you something? It's not about... It's not about learning. Because I can know a whole lot of stuff. But I may not know it. I got a lot of information in my brain. I know I have learned about a lot of stuff. But it's what I do with that knowledge that's important. So this is just not sitting in church one day and, and somehow thinking that I, um, um, uh, I need to learn some more. 
or somehow thinking that I just come for intellectual stimulation, which is all well and good and certainly part of it. it it's, it's, it's this knowledge traveling that long, long road of 18 inches all the way down to your heart. And you, and, and you getting it down to where you make choices and where you make decisions in your life. And one day you're going to stand before God. And I don't know what those exact words will be, but it's going to be something like, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? He's not going to ask you what your parents did with Jesus. He's not going to give a rip about what the Nazarene church taught about Jesus. He's going to look at you individually and said, what did you do with Jesus? And you got a chance to answer that question right now. And if you don't answer it now, when you stand in front of him, it'll be too late to make your choice for Jesus. The essence of Christianity boils down, lock, stock, and barrel. This whole thing is about the person of Jesus Christ. And when Paul stand, stood in front of the intellectual lead of the world, and maybe his only shot at being able to share something, he talked about Jesus. He talked about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You stand before God, he's, he's, is he going to say, um, well, were you baptized? Well, yeah, I was baptized. Well, were you sprinkled? Were you poured? Or were you immersed? Come on, friends. All of our little denominations got our little weird things <laughs> that, that we, you know, we, we, we got all... I, we got some people in, they're, they're all over, but there's a lot of them in Kentucky. They're called Primitive Baptists. It's the actual name of the church, the Primitive Baptists. You know what they want to know about? You know what they want to know from you? Is what do you feel about foot washing? That's what they want to know. And if you don't agree with foot washing like they agree with foot washing, they don't know if you're in or not. We, we, we got a whole bunch of, we got, I mean, we got a whole bunch of people. You know, we, we, we've got churches around that, that don't think you should have instrumental music. And, and God's not going to stand in front of you one day and, and said, uh, did you go to a church that had drums? I need to know that right now. <laughs> isn't, isn't that, that's, just, that, that, that's funny. But we major on minors. And I want to tell you, the major is Jesus Christ. The life that he lived, the death that he died, buried, tomb was sealed, guards left there to make sure nobody would get and steal the body, but somehow three days later he's walking around. That is the message. That is the core of what we do. And that's one reason, except in these days of COVID-19, that we serve communion every Sunday. So you can remember, this service ends every Sunday. With, with Jesus, no matter what I've preached every Sunday, I've got to somehow segue to the cross of Christ because that's what this thing is all about. C.S. Lewis was an author uh, back in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, he was a philosopher. He's a Christian philosopher, and he's written something here. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. You'll hear people say that all the time. Nobody puts down Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. 
They'll think he's the greatest teacher. They may think he's the greatest human that ever lived. There's atheists that may think that Jesus was the greatest human that ever walked the face of this earth. If you keep up on the news, you heard this week on CNN that one of their anchors said that Jesus sinned. Now that's really important, friends, because if he didn't live a perfect life, he couldn't die for his own sins. Nevertheless, dying for my sins. But everybody, everybody will say, you'll, you'll get anybody to say that. You won't get thrown out of the break room at work for saying that Jesus was the you know, best human being ever lived. Taught a lot of good things. Good moral example. <clears throat> but he claimed to be God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Before Abraham was, I am. He, he claimed divinity, and that's why he got killed. That's why he got killed. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man that was a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Let's say I stood here today and said that I, Mark Atherton, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Unless you come to me, you won't make it to heaven. Well, you think I'd gone nuts. Either that or you think I was a liar or I was trying to deceive you. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying is about Jesus. If it was not true about Jesus, then you can say he was nuts, a lunatic. That makes sense. He was just nuts. He was out of his mind. He should have been in an insane asylum somewhere. Or you could say he was just a deceiver. He was just, it was a hoax. And either one of those things, whether you would believe one of those, you couldn't call him a good moral teacher if he was a lunatic or a hoax. And that's what C.S. Lewis is trying to say here. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. What did, what did, what did Thomas say? What did Doubting Thomas say after he saw the, the, the pierced markings in Jesus' side? He fell at his feet and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus hasn't left you any other choice. You have to make a choice about him. And that is the essence of what Christianity is. A, a, a human being making a choice that Jesus is Savior and Lord of their life. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend. I got one more quote. Would you throw that other quote up here? I don't have anyone to give um, credit for this. So I, I, I've seen this over 20 years, but I don't know who, who came up with this first time. Some say he was a good teacher, just a good teacher, but good teachers don't claim to be God. Some say he was only a good example, but good examples don't hang around prostitutes, drunks, and dirty politicians. Others say he was a religious madman, but madmen don't speak the kind of words he spoke. Clear and lucid and perceptive and penetrating. Nor do they draw women and children to them. Madmen don't, don't draw women and children to them. I mean, they, there's something everybody perceives and gets a vibe there. Nor are they served with men with the intellect of Peter and John and Luke and Paul. Next slide. Some say he was a religious fake, perpetrating a hoax like every other would-be savior 
but fakes have a way of staying dead. Others say he was only a phantom, but phantoms don't have the flesh to crucify and blood to spill. And many have said he didn't exist at all. He's only a myth, but myths don't set the calendar for history. B.C. A.D. Christianity boils down to one question, friend, and you have to answer it. You can't have your mommy answered for it. You can't have your denomination answered for it. You know, us denominations, we all have, there's, there's lots we agree on and there's some we di- disagree on, but most denominations, e- even most mainstream denominations, they will agree on who Jesus is. Now, what we'll disagree about is foot washing or drums or something like that. Or, but most of us have, have gotten what the Bible, it's only very, very liberal churches that have not gotten that. And so you can go to the Baptist church here or the, or the Presbyterian church there or, or Ahop across the street or wherever you can go. You'll, you'll find this about Jesus because this is the essential. This is the crux. And one day you're going to stand before him. And I don't know what that question will be, but it'll be something like, I don't think it'll be exactly these words, but it'll be something like, what have you done with Jesus? I had a person in this church this week ask me a question about one of their family members. And, and, and I know this family member, and, and, and this family member quote as much scripture than any of us can quote. But he doesn't live any kind of life that even resembles what the Bible teaches. And so this family member says, what's going to happen to him? And said, I, I don't make that decision. But I do know that the Bible refers to him not only as Savior. That family member would would claim him as Savior, but the Bible refers to him as Savior and Lord. And I can't separate those two. And I just can't. I can't separate those two and be an honest preacher to. I don't know how it's all going to work out in our lives. I don't know how that works out. How much of a Lord does he have to be? I, I don't have any idea on that. But I just know that the Bible tells me that I must proclaim Jesus, his life, death, burial, resurrection as the Savior and Lord. And when you stand in front of him, the only biblical answer, the only biblical answer that you can give, when if someone asks you, if one of the angels or however it works out, I don't know how to work out, somebody asks you, what have you done with Jesus? You can say, he is my Savior and my Lord. Don't say it this way. Don't say he is the Savior and the Lord. I'm afraid that's not acceptable. He is my Savior and he is my Lord. Have you done that? I know a lot of you have. And for a lot of you here, this message is like, duh. I mean, I know that. But the old hymn is right when, it's, when it says, I love to tell the story to those who know it best. They're hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. If this has happened to you, there's something that jumps in your spirit when you hear this. And whether you're an amen or not, you at least say amen within your soul. Is he your Savior? Is he 
your Savior. You know how I know? I grew up in the church. I grew up and heard my dad preach every single Sunday. And I, at a young age, I, I walked away from all of that. But there was never a time in my life that I didn't believe that this Christianity thing was real. I believed it here, but I didn't believe it here. And the reason I believed it is because I knew that he was my dad's savior. And I knew that he had changed dad's life. And I knew there was something there, even though I wasn't willing to bow to it. He was dad's savior. It wasn't just the savior. He, was, he had saved dad's life and changed it. Has he done that for you? And he changes everybody's life in a different way. And some of us needed real radical saving. And some of you, like my wife, they, she got saved at five. And I don't know what she'd done except poured a bottle out or something. I don't know what she'd done. And it all works differently for everybody. It all works differently for everybody. But she needs him as much as the rankest sinner needs. So we've had our first week of summer school. And I've started with the most important thing. All these other things, they're going to be pretty important too, but I've got to make a statement by starting with the most important thing. This thing that we call Christianity is lock, stock, and barrel about what Jesus has done for you and your belief in that for your salvation. And you have an opportunity to accept him while on this earth. But on that day when some angel or somebody asks you that question, you won't have the opportunity anymore. You have the opportunity now while you're alive. Don't miss it. Don't let it pass another Sunday. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin left a crimson stain. And the song said he washed it white as snow. Father, this is, this is, um, this is the plain old gospel. It's what you've called us to preach. It's the good news. And may I preach it till I can't preach anymore. May May I never lose track of the main thing. May I, may I keep Jesus at the very center of all of this. May, may, may I, I always know that I am in need of a Savior. And I need a Lord that leads me and directs me. Because if I'm leading my own life, I'll go to dead end after dead end. I pray for the people in the sound of my voice. Where they're right here in the sanctuary or where they're listening on the internet. I just pray in Jesus' name that every single person will come to this eternal question and be able to answer it in a personal way that you are their Savior and you are their Lord. And if you, that happens to them, that'll be an act of your grace which is probably one of the essentials too. Help us as we continue through summer school. In Jesus' name, amen.